I'm so excited for you to join us. I kind of teased this on our last podcast episode, but I always love when I can bring dynamic women who bring a dimension that all of you, when you write notes or you comment on our podcast, really can identify with. So today I'm super excited to be bringing Laurie Reeder Jabbar on to the show today. She's a former Army Airborne Captain. Yes, I said Army Airborne Captain who's best known for her ready, fire, aim personality. And I can attest because I know Lori personally, she is for sure a firecracker. There's no way around that. But she was part of one of the earliest female graduating classes of the US military at West Point. And she thanked her so much, but served our country for six years in multiple locations in Germany. And she decided to try her hand at something completely different and out of her comfort zone. So she moved to the Bay Area and did a deep dive into high tech, which she and I can identify on. She's been recognized multiple times as a female entrepreneur of the year. She helped start and sell many companies in the services and media industry. But at some point, she kind of decided to focus on being a mom and volunteer within her community, which was a whole nother detour in and of itself. And she served on multiple boards of organizations that benefit schools, children, and causes within the community. So regardless of the descriptor, she continued to have a major impact in our community. And she decided to really leverage all of those diverse elements of her background to start a podcast. And its first episode aired in January of 2021. I've been a guest on that podcast. You guys have to tune in. I love it. But she's a 10 times 5 is the podcast that strives to provide a voice and relatable topics to women hitting their second acts. So if you're anything like Deborah Zayke, who I love, uh, which you guys all know from San Diego, who was the founder of the Golden Door, and she says, we have nine acts in us, just like cats. Well, I love that Lori's only on her second. She's got many, many more to come. So I really want to encourage you to not only listen to her podcast, but just follow along today as we talk to Lori, who's a wife, a proud mom of two amazing young men. And somebody who really not only cherishes, but I think really invests her time in the gift of sisterhood. So welcome to the show, Lori. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Well, thank you, Celeste. It's great to see your beautiful face Aww, today. Same here. And, and I love the fact that you you left out the the epic fail rhetoric in my bio. <laughs> well, I thought but, I thought we'd get to it in the questions. I didn't yeah. want to lead with that. I wanted it to be your words, not mine. <laughs> exactly. That that drove me into the, you know, back into the home. But yes. But you know what? That's why I want to dive into that in the questions, because is there really ever an epic fail? That's what I want to know. Because in my mind, epic fails, at least in my life, have been openings to something amazing. And so while one thing may fail, the the opportunity of what it created, it's many times, you know, kind of outweighs whatever that was, the, the life lesson, so to speak, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. There's always silver lining, always, always. I totally agree. So let's start with the, I think the most obvious question that maybe some of our viewers are saying, you know, what was it that compelled you to go into the Army coming out of West Point? And what was that, you know, because if you think when you went, but even now, I think, you know, 
we look at women traditionally and we say, you know, there's paths that we go and the army isn't necessarily always the first one. So what was it that was compelling you and motivating you? Well, you know, on a joking side, I like to tell people it was because the 10 to one ratio of men to women. (laughs) And I like to blow shit up. (laughs) But truth be told, um, I was a recruited athlete in high school and I had lost my mom at 15. And so our family was kind of going through it all. And I was deathly afraid of student debt. Don't know why, but I just was. And I'd gotten injured. So a lot of uh, the money that would typically be given to athletes was taken off the table. Plus they didn't have title nine back then for women. Now, now it's so much easier, better to get uh, opportunities for financial um, incentive. And so I was recruited by West Point. I, it was with Top Gun. So remember those years? Yes. I had great grades, but I kind of took for granted that I was a student athlete and I didn't really prepare for my standardized test. So you have to get a congressional nomination. So I got recruited by West Point and I was intrigued by it. And they immediately got me in front of my congressman. And I remember all of the kids lined outside because everyone wanted to go to an academy. And when I came in, they said, uh, wow, you know, you've got great recommendations, great grades. We recognize your a recruited athlete, but your scores, it's just too competitive this year. Excuse me. And so I kind of joke with him for 20 minutes. Here's this panel of your typical blue suited, red tied (laughs) gentleman. I have the visual right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, well, this is, this is over, this is done. So let's just have fun. And I got a call on Monday from the congressional office and said, we're going to take a risk on you. Love it. And so at that point, I, um, the, the admissions pro- uh, process happened very, very quickly. And of course, I was a 17-year-old class clown that should had no business applying to West Point, actually. And my short-sightedness is like, well, it's free. And I don't have to worry about physics sec- second semester. I can drop physics. And that literally was kind of my mindset until I got there. Well, I love the whole idea of, you know, nothing's for free. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you got there, um, what was it? Maybe because in your descriptor, right, you didn't really visualize this path once you got there, right? So when you got there, what was it that surprised you, and what was it that you know kind of intrigued you as you went through that experience? Well, the furthest east east I had been <clears throat> prior to landing at the United States Military Academy at West Point was Utah. (laughs) So I'd never been in New York, never set foot anywhere in New York. And uh, so my father and I spent a couple of days touring New York. And um, and then when I got there, I wish I could say that it it was hard. It was uh, a a shock to my system there. They really didn't want women there still. I mean, some people were supportive, but it was obvious that as a blonde hair, blue eyed California girl, I was the misfit. And so I think for about the first couple weeks, it was, what did I just do? Like, honestly, I just, what did I made the hugest mistake in my life? Everyone back home is right. And they don't let you quit for three weeks. You can't call home, you can't quit. And uh, so I was kind of stuck. And then they slowly dangle the carrot back at you. So they, they beat you down, they dangle a little carrot. So they kind of keep you hooked. And, um, I just kind of, after a while, the academics, you know, 
season started, uh, the semester started, and then I knew I was in the right place. But I have a question, you know, being daddy's little girl, um, what did your dad think about that journey for you then, you know, and your decision to go there? You know, I know with my daughter, you know, her dad's super protective. And so as you think about that, what advice did he give you or did he? You know, I think he felt a lot of guilt because I think he knew I, you know, I, I'd always really wanted to go to Stanford and I was recruited by Stanford. Um, and then it became UCLA was the next choice. I, when you take your child to reception day is what they call it. And you're in this room with all these immaculate cadets and they've got red sashes on and they're sabers. And, and then they say, well, say goodbye to your son or daughter you won't be able to speak with him for three weeks. And I think, I think he looked at me and said, you don't, you don't have to do this. And I think he knew I was go like, I think he was really worried. Like what's the incentive for me going? And he knew it was really a free education. And I looked at him and I'm like, I got this, I got this. It's all good. And then they pulled us in, you know, behind closed doors. And then the yelling started and the hazing. And then I thought, oh, gosh, if I could just run through those doors again. <laughs> I know. But I think you make me want to cry because I get I totally can envision what that moment was like, you know. And one thing that's interesting, Lori, is I don't know if you've been following the news lately, but, you know, they're just they're talking now about the need to redo living quarters and training and education quarters, even at Miramar for women. And how many years later is that than when you went to West Point, you know, and you think about what, how many years it's been that we're still just talking about updating facilities to be able to recognize women's needs as well. So I can imagine what it was like at that point, you know, when we're still having that dialogue now. So when you think about, you know, going through that experience, how did that sort of shape and mold over the years um, how you looked at what you would do beyond West Point? Well, you do have a six-year commitment. So I think it was, you know, West Point has a very specific methodology for teaching leadership. And it's it's a pretty tight box and window in which they kind of shove your personality into. And then when you get into the actual army, it, it opens it up quite a bit because now, you know, you're taking your education and your experiences um, in a very immaculate, well-groomed environment. And you've got all of these kids from across the country, sometimes the world, that you have to adapt your leadership to because they're all very different and uh, needed to be treated different. So to answer your question, I think at West Point, I learned um, anything, you, you can do anything. Like you really can, if as long as you have the support of your teammates and you can ask for help when you need it, um, you really can accomplish more than you ever thought possible. The second thing is I learned as a woman in a very male and dominated environment, how to operate with confidence, with, you know, I, I always tell people, they go, what was it like? And, and I was an athlete, so that was definitely helpful because there's a lot of um, the eye test that happens in an academy. You know, can you keep up with the men on a run? Can you keep up on a hike? Do you look good in your uniform? Are you overweight? Are you all of those things, you know, that you would think they really were there. But I think it's the women that weren't afraid to be women and acknowledge their womanhood that did the best. I think the women that kind of used it as an excuse had a really hard time. And I think 
the women that tried to be like men had a really hard time kind of gelling with the core cadets. And so those were two things. But what do you think, you know, when you think about that time, right, and you think about what you learned, especially as you went into the Army and then you had that more global experience, um, what is it that shaped how you saw not only competing in that environment, which, you know, I don't think anyone would doubt would be very male dominated, but then moving into the business world as you did, where you kind of took that and decided to go out and kind of take a, a complete turn into the technology segment. You know, what is it that that you really took from those years? Because when you went into tech, tech was also very male, frankly, I hate technology, but today it's very male dominated. Yep. You really have very few CEOs who are female in the tech space, less than 1%. That's crazy, um, of at least publicly held companies. So when you think about that, what is it that you know you kind of took over? And what did you see was similar to patterns of success? And what did you really have to adapt that maybe worked in the army, but didn't work when you got out? Okay, so the first part of that question, I would say, um, I, I, you know, I honestly believe that leadership comes a large, a large part of it comes from your heart and from your intuition. I really do. I mean, yes, there's common sense and and whatnot, but if you lead with your heart and your intuition, then um, you can galvanize things. So in, in any environment, I don't care if it's tech or healthcare or um, community leadership. So that was the first thing. I think I was definitely, it, the structure in the military, shaking that off took a while because you really are, I mean, think about this. We, we all wear the same socks. We all have the same pants. We all wake up at the same time, you know? So I think shaking that off because especially in high tech, you're around really out of the box thinkers there was a period of time when I was there where it was, it was like the gold rush, right? It was like right when the internet started and, uh, you know, remember Netscape? I mean, that was the big company. And then all of a sudden this IPO gold rush was happening and it was, it became very, you know, cool to be that kind of quirky, weird, you know, character figure, right? And so that took me a while to adapt because that was not the way I had operated for so very long in my early career. I'm only laughing that you would bring Netscape up. And the only reason I say that is because if you Google my maiden name in Netscape, you'll see that I was one of six people called by the Justice Department to testify against Microsoft, not by my own willing, but I was subpoenaed um, because of their muscling, of trying to muscle out Netscape. Um, and I chose to put Netscape on all of our platforms, one of the first people to ever do that on a, on a well-known platform. So anyway, long story short, I had, I had the sp spears and arrows of that. So it's just funny you would bring that one example. But definitely, um, it is something where that time was a time of abundance, man, in terms of creativity, energy, investment, right? And everything around you was just imploding, you know, in a good way. In a very good way. Um, the energy was, it was electric. I mean, you know, and just the amount of mind capital that just flooded into the Bay Area was just, it was insanity. I wish that for everyone. You know, I wish for everyone to have an experience like that because you want to talk about upping your game. When you're surrounded by people who are 
waking up every day with a goal just to leave the day with a new creative innovative idea that's better than anything that's been done before you don't even know the definition of the word mediocre <laughs> it yeah. doesn't there is the mediocre is is not even acceptable right i mean you 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 have to i mean the, my favorite saying you and i talked about on your podcast but it's like you get up and you move or you're going to be eaten there's no way around it so you know competitively so you just always are driven to be innovating and it's just such it's just such a great experience to see how far you can go that you never thought you had that kind of creative capability but it, there was just no limit to what you could and you it's not like today where you sort of get silenced if your opinion has sub, it, it flies in the face then there were no limits to what you could just throw out there to say what if you know, and uh, and I think when you have no limits to the what ifs, you also have no limits to what can come, right? So it's it was kind of one of those birthing times. Well, it was interesting. I was, um, I think one of the pivotal moments for me, and and it actually was the impetus for me starting my first company, is I I was in charge of integrating after mergers and acquisitions. So we'd buy a company, we'd grow by buying, we'd buy a company, and then it was my job to then envelop them into the organization. And we were trying to buy a company and I was setting up for a meeting. And, you know, of course my CEO was Joe Costello. Remember him? Yeah. Big Joe, like seven foot tall, right? Owned the room. And we were setting up a table and it was a dog and pony show. And I was in my, you know, business suit looking very smart. And in walks the CEO of this startup company that we were trying to buy. And he had on torn khakis, flip-flops, and kind of a, you know, a surfer shirt. And he walked to the end of the table where he knew the CEO was positioned to sit. And he pulled out the chair and he sat down, but he sat Indian style. And I looked at him and I said, I want to be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) What does it take to get that kind of comfortable confidence and control? And, and, and that was really what you saw, right? And the other cool thing is you'd go outside and he'd be driving some dinker car that was like, you know, there was no idea at that moment of the importance, the, the most important wealth was intellectual capital, kind of what your brain could do, what the creativity was, the physical aspects of it weren't the same. And I think that people were in search of just owning the next amazing creative idea and innovation, which was so amazing and stimulating. Yeah, they wanted to way. change the world, you know? They did. And you know what's good is there's a lot of people wanting to do that today, too, in really good ways. And I get inspired by so many fresh new ideas. I just really hope for all of them that we give them the space to be able to bring ideas that may be unconventional but yet open to looking at how we, you know, how we give those little seeds room to grow because there's some amazing things out there. So tell me a little bit, you know, you mentioned stepping out with your first company, but, you know, as you did that, you know, one of the things a lot of our listeners, you know, a lot of our listeners are looking on their own journey of developing themselves, starting their next phase, their next chapter, if you will. Um, So, in that journey, you know, what does it take to sort of, because definitely you went from this very structured environment where you kind of figured out through that structure how to be successful. 
and then you hop over to an environment with absolutely zero structure, which is by definition entrepreneurialism. Uh, and you brought that knowledge of structure, which I think is totally valuable. But what is it that when you made that transition, you know, really allowed you to be successful as a woman at that time and really feel good about where you were headed and make it fulfilling for you as well? Well, to step back a little bit, within that structure of the military and then and then, you know, I, I did my first job out of the military was a structured corporate environment. You know, it was Anderson Consulting, now Accenture. Um, you'd still have to learn how to work with other people and get the best out of them. And I think very early on, I was I, I learned that um, there's always a guy that knows something that I don't or can do something that I cannot. And so I was really good with getting the best out of people because I had to, you know, in the military, you know, I, I was in situations of conflict where y- you have to inspire confidence and you have to be confident in the man or woman next to you. So with that being said, fat, fast forward, I, I, there came a point in my life where I realized that it was time for me to make a run for it. I saw an opportunity um, and it was scary because I, you know, when you start a company, the financial burden of not knowing whether it's going to work its way out, it's stressful um, and the burden's on you because it's your name. So I had my ego, I had my financial situation all rolled up in it, but I knew it was time. And um, it was difficult as a woman at that point in time because there there weren't many women entrepreneurs that were willing to step out of the box and do something new. Um, But I, kind of use that to my advantage. And what I encourage people today, because there are a lot of people, especially coming out of 2020 that have come up with ideas or concepts and like the like the thought process of, hey, maybe I can do this on my own. I've had a lot of flexibility with how I work and maybe I can do something totally bold and brave and, and also make a run for it on my own. And I, I think that you have to have the courage and, the, and know the timing is right and go with it with all your passion. And that's basically what, what I did. When you think about that now, right, and you think about, you know, looking at business and sort of going out and taking that passion and that tenacity, when you look at what you do as a mom, you know, when you look at what you do as part of the community, um, you know, is it really that different than that same tenacity and, you know, inspiration that you use as an entrepreneur to get out and make changes in your community. You're super active in the community. You're super active in causes. You definitely are someone, you know, you're one of the best networkers out there, but you're also someone who truly makes a difference when you decide to put your weight behind a cause. So what is that, that characteristic that carries through even into the the community sector? Well, I mean, I think if you're passionate about something, whether it's a concept, a product, um, a person, or a cause, it's, you know, if you feel it deep in your soul, it kind of, and we talked a little bit about Celeste on my podcast with you, the, the psychic income. I think when you are really passionate about something, then you're getting that, that income of fulfillment out of it as well. And I think it makes it, um, I think it makes it really easy to do so. Um, And so I've just approached all of it. You know, the the real impetus for me to get involved with communities because 
you see things that are just wrong, you know, and there's this leadership void at time and no one wants to, you know, and, and there are situations where I, I, I call it with my kids. Like we talk a lot about the world we live in. And sometimes it feels like you're just shuffling the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Like it, it, it just seems no hope. Right. right. And, and there's mom, oh my God, mom's playing the, she's playing the cello on the deck of the Titanic as it goes down. But, you know, I also feel like as a, a mom and a person that has prided myself in, in being a leader is to set the right example for my children. That, you know, the outcome may not be ideal and it may not be exactly the way I anticipated it going, or it may be, it may be a failure. However, you know, putting myself out there and being unafraid to kind of put my passion behind my efforts is something that uh, I think I've always taken pride in. Well, and I also think to back up what you're saying, you know, there, if you think about working from the top down and the bottom up, you know, when we look at how governmental things, how political things work, how organizational, very large. They work. <laughs> well, I'm going to just say how yeah. they work, yeah. okay. whether whether that's effectively or not. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, there's a very top down trickle, very slow trickle down, you know, benefit to our communities, when you look at the kinds of things people like yourself do, and this is, I think, what's always driven me to be super involved in philanthropy in our own communities, is selfishly, you see an impact right away. You're, you're touching someone that you can immediately see, and guess what? They feel the impact of that immediately. And in my mind, organizing within your community and being a part of a, a movement within your community to make a difference is the most impactful thing you can do. And even though you might get, you might feel in some times, like you were saying with your kids, you know, the fiddling on the Titanic, that maybe, you know, hey, I'm, I'm out there and my one voice doesn't matter. I think that might feel like that when you're in this big abyss up above. But when you're in the community, your one voice is sometimes the only one someone hears and feels and it can make the biggest difference in someone's life. And human touch, human connection, which is what motivates everything I do, this podcast included, is you know the most powerful tool we have and of any human connection. And so I feel like that's why the things that you do do matter and while role modeling for your kids that you, you are not helpless. You can make a difference. You have control over your actions which in the end can sometimes be the most meaningful thing that you can share, you know? And when I look at that, I guess that's, you know, my next question is someone who's like female entrepreneur of the year, all the, the, all the successes, and then we'll talk about the epic fail, but all the successes that you've had, um, you know, what do you feel is the greatest success and how is being a woman, and I'm not going to use the term mature, but, you know, as we go through these life phases, we evolve. We're not the same woman we were when you were at West Point or, you know, all these things. And so how is it better? How is it more painful? <laughs> and maybe in some ways, what are the new sets of challenges you have in how people perceive uh, people as they move through these life stages? Well, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, and it has a lot of facets to it. So let, let me tackle one thing first. 
is you said something really important that touched, it speaks to my heart very, very much so, is, you know, we do live in a very complex world. And, and a lot of times we're in a complex business environment. It's a big company or whatever, but, and we feel like our own little actions can't have that halo effect, but they do. And I always tell people, gosh, I can't, af- I can't affect things in Washington, D.C., I can't, you know, I, I don't have that ability, but I certainly can touch a small group, a person within the community and have that halo effect. And it really does happen. And I, I say to my kids, you know, I, I feel like if you have the ability, if you've had success or you, you understand how to navigate the system and you have a network that can help people, you ha- almost have a moral obligation within your community to give those people that don't have a voice or a place at the table, you give them their voice. And I think it's really, really important um, that we do that. And I I believe very, very strongly with that. So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is, I feel like I've been a cat with, I'm probably on my eighth life maybe. We talked about second act as a woman, but I think as a woman, I have gone through so many different um, phases of growth. And some of them have been very challenging. You know, um, you're constantly trying to adapt to whatnot. But I think what I have learned is that women of our generation, although I, I'm a lot younger than you, Celeste, aren't I? <laughs> I know, you are. You know, I look back, you know, the rear view mirror is always, you know, a, a beautiful thing to keep us in reality check, right? Uh, but we didn't do a good job supporting other women. It was almost like, you know, and, and I'll use Westwood as an example. We we brought in 144 cadets in a class of 100, you know, 1400. And you would think we would band together and help one another. And it really wasn't like that. There was no sisterhood. I almost felt like it was like we we were crabs in a bucket trying to step on one another in order for us to get that rare opportunity as a woman to get out of the bucket. And I think as I've kind of, traverse the different decades and opportunities and things that I've done, I realize how important it is to support other women and kind of how badass we are. Yeah. You know, I mean, really like there's, you know, there's a lot of extraordinarily brilliant, articulate, uh, well-read cultured women that are out there and they're finally stepping out of the shadows and they're making moves and i'm in the point in my life where i'm not a mover and a shaker but by golly i will support all of them but 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 you are in you are in the things that you're doing every day i know that personally about you um but i would also say that you're absolutely right um you know it's one of those things where we've made huge progress on so many fronts when it comes to empowering women of all ages but then we still have a long way to go in terms of, you know, our our own sisterhood and our because there's a lot of things that you just grow up with innately that you have to unlearn. And that highly competitive thing of I'm competing against every woman for my space, um, you know, we kind of have to realize that helping someone else doesn't debilitate you in some way or disable you. And I think that's, you know, that's the challenge so many women face in, in truly supporting each other, not just with our words or in public, but what we really do to help each other succeed and thrive. And I think, you know, one thing I'd share on, to tap into what you just said is that 
you know, what I'm curious about with you, because, you know, she's a 10 times five, talks about 50, right? When we think about, you know, as women, I, I feel like the one thing, particularly being someone who owns a skincare company or a beauty company, you know, really looking at helping women of all ages really understand that the number on your driver's license or doesn't it at any level determine the impact you can make or the con- what you have inside of you to contribute regardless of how young you are meaning you might have things that someone much older you know than you can't contribute but in the same way i think aging in women is something that we still have to really combat is you know the societal norm that you no longer have as much to contribute because remember you said you know they look at how you dress how much you weigh where you go and are there lines on your face and you know well well, don't they say that that's the last real significant form of discrimination is aging women like it's a big one it is yeah because you think about men right i mean when men get older there still is this idea you know i was watching an interview of michael douglas the other day older than dirt or clint eastwood and you know they're basically talking (laughs) about yeah and they're talking about their hot young wives and you know whatever it is and but the you know when the role is reversed i mean they say clint eastwood's making the best movies he's ever made in his 90s right um but where's the woman making the best movies she's ever made in her 90s you know it would there just isn't that same openness. I'm sure she's out there. The point is she doesn't get a lot of PR press or yeah. necessarily thought process. So, you know, I think that's where for me, um, you know, I feel like I've come to a whole new, everything you talked about that you learned when you were at West Point, which was, look, I just have to know who I am, be true to who I am, embrace being a woman, step out and own it. I think when I own a company and you get this too, but you know, when you think about starting a podcast and saying she's a 10 times five, I'm sure there are a lot of people going, that's probably not a really good name because you're going to segment yourself into this pigeonhole thing of not being relevant as much to a younger audience, blah, blah, blah. And it's the same thing when I sit with a content team that goes, well, let's get six young models to go out. By the way, I love that, but really they should be the people because someone your age showing the product might discourage people from you know so it's things like that where you're like yeah but but i want to tell the story of the the heart of this brand and where it is and it and and it should resonate with anyone any age who cares about being healthy and well and um and what it is so i think at some point you kind of have to know when to trust and be true to your mission and kind of say fuck it you know like Yeah. yeah at some point if, you know, I'm gonna go out and be true to what this is and trust that I have value to bring to this story. Um, but it's easy to listen to other people tell you you don't. <laughs> well, you know what um, I have found and and especially with launching a podcast is humor goes a long way. Humor oh, yeah. goes a long way, self-deprecation goes a long way, owning your shit goes a long way. And um, and not taking things too gravely serious, and then oh by the way, listening to others and what I what I found that's so rad about um, what I'm doing now and 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 I'm doing it with and things also within the community because she's the ten has, has enabled me to do a lot of things within the community. It's it's been like kind of this really great networking experience. Is the younger generation actually is listening? 
you know, and I, I always thought, God, you know, they just think they know it all and they want it now and whatever. What's really interesting. And I tell them, I, I say, God, if, if you could only if I can only go back and tell my 20 something year old self what I know today, then geez. Right. And I think a lot of a lot of the newer generations, the millennials, the um, the Gen Z's, which is where my kids are at, I think they're now starting to get to the point where, okay, I need to take, listen to the older, wiser ones, because this is really confusing. And I'm struggling with where to get the right source of information. So I'm in a trust experience versus maybe some external factors like the media or whatever. It's so it's been kind of, it's been kind of, and I hope that continues because I think um, I always love sitting down with someone who has a little bit more road behind them than I do to learn from their experiences and insight. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, my daughter's in her, her just graduated from college and she's, you know, I love that the other day she and a friend called and said, hey, mom, dad, let me bounce this off you guys. You know, here's what we're doing. What do you think? You know, here's some things we're doing on the entrepreneurial level. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they actually called us to ask us for advice and where they go. But but I to your point, I think because of podcasts, because of all the blogging and things that go vlogs, all the various ways that you can participate, you know, clubhouse, anything where you're listening to others and engaging, there is a new world of openness to learning from others, the how to, you know. And so I think there is a lot of openness to learning and growing through that piece. So one thing I'll ask you a little bit, bit about is, you know, what do you what advice you you said, you know, uh, wow, if I could tell my 20-year-old self something, wouldn't it be amazing if I could know what I know today? What advice do you have for someone who is wanting to step out and start something but maybe is like your 20-year-old self and not so sure about their own skill set or whether they should do it? What would you share to that person today for tips on how to get that going? I would say, and I, I do say this, I say it to my kids. Um, I think I think sometimes it's so daunting for certain individuals that are what I call my kids a mile wide and an inch deep. They're very well rounded because I think we sometimes glamorize the numerical value on things. You know what you know what your GPA is, what your scores are, and and, and we have a lot of people that are an inch wide and a mile deep, and we need those people. And so what I would say to my 20-year-old self and I say to my 20-year-old is network, learn, talk to people, pay it forward. I say it all the time. I go, you never know that person you meet, what they're really thinking and what they're really capable of. And if you help them, you never know when you might have to call and they're going to be on the other end of the line. I think networking is such an under, an unspoken and therefore unvalued asset to all of us. And I think if we did do more networking, I think a, a lot of great things would come out of it with, within the community too. A lot of um, more understanding, more compassion, more everything. So that's, that's what I would say. I totally agree with you. And one thing to back that up is I recently had an experience where um, someone was sharing with me, because you know, I've been working on this clean air proposition and so someone shared with me, she works for the city of San Diego, and she said, I, I want to share with you some of my cases because she's a social worker. And she said, you know, I want to share some so you have a sensitivity to why a lot of people can't change the situation they're in. So to your point, 
she sort of went through all these scenarios with me and it just opened my eyes to understand that there was a whole nother dimension to this situation that I didn't understand. And it really changed how I saw it. But that if I hadn't had that conversation, if I hadn't have just randomly met this woman and networked with her and opened that door, it opened up a whole new dimension to my goal and to what I'm trying to do for clean air indoors for San Diego kids and families, especially people who can't, who are living in, you know, tenement housing and things where they don't have the capability to control the quality of their water or their air. And how do we help them be more healthy? So to that point, you know, it was great to have that networking opportunity and open the door to that. So I I totally support that. Let me tell you this story. And I tell it to my kids because, um, it really was kind of the defining moment for me as an entrepreneur and someone that had taken a big risk is I really wanted um, eBay as my customer. You know, it was back then where you started a company, you have your website and people went to your website. You didn't have all these other social media platforms. It was your website and they would look at what icons, you know, you'd have your little icon. You wanted all the little icons on. And I really wanted eBay and I was not getting a call back from uh, the VP of HR and they had just gone public and I'm like, I got to get eBay. And so I I said to um, one of my best sales guys, I said, get in the car. So we got in the car, we parked outside with my my shitty little Honda that I still had (laughs) because I told myself it keeps me hungry to have the shitty little Honda. So we parked outside and we waited for Rebecca to drive out And, and she did. And we followed her to wherever she was having lunch and we waited in the car. And then when uh, she came out, I hopped out as quickly as I could and I accidentally ran into her and I got the deal. And so, and and we networked for a while. She helped me with a lot of customers. And I think, um, you know, I ended up telling her the story of how I got to where I was and how we serendipitously met that day. But my point is, is that you also have to be fearless about what you're doing. Like, if you really want something, you, you really got to go for it. It's not going to land in your lap. Mm-hmm. And that's the the other message I would tell my 20-year-old self is, is keeping fearless. And you might be embarrassed or you might get a reaction you don't want. You know, you run in the brick wall, you dust yourself off and go, God, that hurt. But, you know, now you know, and you got a little more substance to take to the next round. Well, and also, you know, it's eight brick walls, right? And one of yep. them is going to break through. So. You know, that's the other message is it is it is you have to network because you got to cast your net really wide to get one or two things to really pop. And if, when people aren't don't have things happening, you're like, well, you're only talking to this one particular path. It doesn't work. You don't have any other options. Right. So you kind of have to keep those. those well, yeah. And also, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> it's like that scene from Forrest Gump. You keep casting the net and all you're getting is one or two shrimp, right? Right. And then all of a sudden a big breakthrough or something happens and you know, you're you're on top of the world and and it can happen overnight, you know? Yeah, it's true. And that's why I think sticking with it is the key. You know, it's staying with it long enough. Everything takes time. I was watching Netflix last night shouldn't tell my guilty pleasure, but after Ted Lasso, which is one of my favorite, oh, I love Ted. Oh, I'm like a Ted binger. Are you not? Like everything about that show is just great. The message, the characters, you just feel good walking away. No, I was actually going to post that I have a little fantasy that I want to be in the den with the writers when they're writing one of these episodes, because I just have to hear the banter that goes back and forth. Because some of the things 
that they come up with, you know, I'm like, I ha I would love to hear how they got to that, you know, because, yeah. and they're developing those characters in such an amazing way, right? Like when you think about where they've come from that first episode to how you see them today, and I can't wait to see, you know, where they take them. But to that point, uh, afterwards, it just, you know, how it just kind of rolls to the next thing. Yeah. And it was a documentary on Leonard Skinner. And I thought it was so interesting because, you know, one of the guys said, it's funny how everyone thinks that every hit, even today, um, that every band is an overnight, they came out of nowhere. And they, he said, I don't even know a band today that isn't 10 years old, like in terms of their, that wasn't doing things from when they were 12 to 22. Um, and I think it's so true that we don't, we kind of live in a world of social media where you only see the outcome and you don't see what led up to the outcome. So many times it just seems like things just happen instantaneously, right? Like Huda Beauty, she built her thing over 10 years. It wasn't like she just started Huda Beauty one day, but if you look at the news, it was like, oh, within a year she was blah, blah, blah. She's like, no one listened to my podcast. No one listened to my blog. No one commented. I would write and maybe get one person to like it in my first three years. It was just my husband said, stay with it, stay with it, you know. So you just really realize that, you know, it is about staying the course and that everything takes time to get to a place where you've given enough care and feeding to be a success. So with that said, I wanted to talk about She's a 10 Times 5 or your podcast. Um, you know, what has surprised you the most about having the podcast and then for everyone listening, I know they're always wanting to add a podcast to their list. So I'd love for you to also share where they can find it. Okay. What is most surprising is we launched in January, 2021. And how many women want to come on our show and tell their story? And how many have so many fascinating stories? And it really is... That has been really the silver lining for me is one, I've met some amazing women and I've developed amazing friendships out of this. A couple people in New York I'm going to go see just from this so podcast. Cool. Um, but, you know, it's really great to hear a heartfelt story of triumph, of trauma, of success and failure. So that has been the biggest surprise. And, and I, I we, at this point, we, we don't even really ask for guests. They are coming mm -hmm. to us because I think so cool. they see it as an approachable uh, type of environment with two ladies that are self-deprecating and don't take it too seriously, but really want to hear the, the story and and have a takeaway for the guests. And you make it fun and you get a fireball shot. It's the best. <laughs> well, if you can get Celeste Tilling to go a fireball shot. <laughs> Truth be said, she didn't take the fight. It's probably still sitting on your desk, isn't it? It is. <laughs> well, well, we had... But you know why? Because I'm going to do it with you. Okay, good. Well, I have to tell you this. Uh, one of our uh, previous guests, like it was a week ago, um, since we talk a lot about fireball, because we give our guests fireball. I don't know why we do that. We just do. And she I just think you. I just think you need the pit bull fireball. Fireball, yeah. Yeah. So she came walking through the doors and up to Studio Fifty, and she's like, "I just, I just, I'm so nervous. I just had two shots of fireball." <laughs> and I go, "It's noon. <laughs> what are you doing?" So yeah, I love it though. I love that you you have that relaxing thing, and you have Ellen in your audience, which makes it even better. I love it. And then your cute little monkey too. 
I love him. Okay, so uh, I can't believe how fast time goes, so I want to make sure we don't miss the burning questions round, where this gets to be where we really get to know you. So you just, you just have to say your first thought. What's a mantra you live by? Hold my drink and watch this. I love it. Okay, so where, there's a story behind that. Yeah, no, there's really not. I just think, well, there is kind of. So when when COVID happened, everyone was obviously, you know, afraid of COVID. And I said, ah, it's not going to get me. I go, that's not how I'm going out. It's going to be literally hold my drink, watch this. And there I go. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> What's your morning routine? My morning routine, primarily because... I've been around my husband too much for the past two years. <laughs> I like to get my coffee. I, I take the dogs out to um, to do their thing and eat. And then I get my coffee and I sit outside, rain or shine, and I drink my coffee all alone and have moments of solitude where I reflect and I think about things and I get my mind right. I love that. Okay. Hong yeah. Kong or the Seychelles? Seychelles, baby. I know, me too. I got to say it. I was like, are you, are you an urban girl or are you like out on the island? I'm on the island all the way. That's one of the, that's one oh, of the yeah. most beautiful places in the world. Last but not least, before we sign off, I'd love for you to just leave us with one inspirational thought. So how do we reach you? How can people connect and follow you? Okay. Uh, reaching us is on Instagram at she's a 10, one zero times five the number at she's a 10 times five and then we're on just about every platform um apple spotify etc and we love feedback so um i would love if anyone gives us a listen or takes a look at the gram give us feedback on the content we're putting out because we want to make sure it's what people and you want. guys have to listen because it truly is fun it's fun to listen to the topics are so broad and far-reaching i love it i love laurie so you guys have to be able to follow along with that and last but not least, leave us with one thought for the day to inspire us as we all go on from here. One thought of the day that, oh God, I would say as cliche as, cliche as it is that um, one smile and one good word to someone can make a difference that can spill out over an entire, I don't know, entire world. No, it's so true, right? Thank you for being with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. That was my pleasure. You're awesome. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye.